Hey everyone, welcome to the 22nd episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is David Roditti, the head men's tennis coach at TCU. Since arriving at TCU in 2010, he has elevated the program to a consistent top 10 ranking in the country, made Final Fours, and was named the ITA National Coach of the Year in 2015. His teams have won four Big 12 titles, and in 2022, they won the ITA National Indoor Championship. On today's episode, we discuss the difficulties of recruiting, why his former player Cameron Norrie was able to break into the ATP Top 10, and one great ball striking tip that I started using immediately this week. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Roditi, welcome to the pod. Thank you, John, to be here. It's been far too long since we've spoken on a regular basis. I remember, uh, I think, when did you get the TCU job? When did you come back as head coach? September of 2010. So that's actually when I started at Duke as the assistant. So I remember we had a couple dual match battles. The story, (laughs) you can probably tell it better than me, but do you remember the story that we were both recruiting uh, Rafa Hemmler? Of course. It was my first... It was my first visit, my first recruiter coming on a visit. Loved Rafa. And that visit was done in the first 10 minutes of his visit to TCU. When we went to the, I think it was the criminal justice or the department, and he was thinking about studying criminal justice or law, pre-law, or something like that. And the head, the head of TCU's uh, department says uh talking about our program saying it's a good program we're very proud of it it's no duke but it's pretty good and i just he looked at me and i knew it's over and then the head of the department says yeah my son goes to duke he had no idea we it was us or duke and i thought wow what are the chances and that was it i called ramsey right as we came out of that meeting said, hey, enjoy Rafa. I think he's coming to Duke. <laughs> that is so funny. And then, of course, he was one in the country in doubles, like top 50 in singles. Uh, and the greatest kid. I mean, the greatest kid. I, I, I'm glad that you couldn't steal players like you can today because I love the kids. I was always talking to them. Uh, and Ramsey, you were like, probably like, why is he, is he still recruiting him? Like today, he probably would say, hey, stop talking to my guy. You can transfer like in the middle of a match these days, but I just loved him. And, and we always laughed. It was always a great story. The the one thing I don't miss as much now that I'm out of the game for two years is recruiting. And obviously that's a big part of the job. Uh, you recruited a lot of great players and we'll get into some of them later, but what's the biggest thing or the two or three biggest things that you're looking for when you're, when you're out there recruiting? Yeah. Well, first of all, I feel like we're the worst recruiters. So if, if there's any, any recruits out there listening to this and you think you should have heard from TCU and you haven't, it's not because we're not interested. We're just that bad at it. So contact us. I would say 95% of our recruits, they came to us. That's how terrible we are. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, you, I think you got to have the right person. Number one, a good human being. I don't care if you can play or whatever. Obviously, you got to be good. Uh, you got to have a certain level or you're not going to get to play. It's not going to be a great experience. So, yes, the level must be there, but assuming the level is there, then is he a good human being? Is he liked? Is he 
respect it. Is he because these days there, there's so much going on, and you get to be a a close knit family, and and we all put our guard down, and and eventually, if you don't have a good human being, it could it could almost cost your job. So no, that's number one. So let's say we get past those hurdles, then you get into how athletic is he? How good of a competitor? You give me a guy that can uh, hit the ball beautifully versus a guy that can compete, 100%, hands down, I'll take the guy that can compete. I mean, look at you, John. Look at your golf swing and look at your tennis strokes, and you won a lot of tennis matches. You are a great competitor. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'll send you I'll send you a video of my golf swing. It's gotten better, but the tennis strokes are still pretty rough. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, right? I mean, I mean, even like a guy like Medvedev, he doesn't hit the ball that, you know, like a typical tennis player, right? And he can move and he can compete. So uh Cameron Norrie, I'm sure we'll talk about Cam. Cam obviously he's got a lot of a lot of attributes and skills and there's the way he moves. At the end of the day, Cameron will do anything to win that tennis match. And that's why he's top 10 in the world. Why is it? So I've asked a couple college coaches. Well, when I used to be out on the recruiting trail, we would all say similar things. And I've interviewed a couple coaches already. And it, a lot of it comes back to being a competitor. And that information does get passed on to junior tennis players. And yet they still value their hitting. You know, they're dying to go to D1. Why do you think they have such a hard time letting go of what they want or what they're feeling and start thinking through the eyes of a college coach who has seen what it takes to be successful? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, you, you, you might be getting into, there's a topic we've been talking a lot about. It's, 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 it's amazing how concerned they are about even how they look. Right. So, and, 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 and playing well and looking good and hitting a clean ball might be, just as important to them as it is to actually win the match. Where, you know, growing up as a five foot, little short, chubby Mexican kid, I, I let that go a long time ago. I'm like, I look terrible. I better win. So that was my only way to save face. It was to win the actual match. I didn't care how. But I, I do think there's a little bit of that. I mean, it's kind of funny. I'm making fun of it a little bit. But I wonder, deep down, if they rather look good than actually win the match. So, so I think that's one. And and some of them may not understand that there is a difference between being concerned about how you're playing and how you're hitting the ball and playing the right way versus winning. There, there is a difference. You, you, I believe it's a different mindset when you're evaluating and criticizing and you're judging whether you're playing well or not versus not judging, not evaluating, not criticizing, and just what do I have to do to hold serve on this side of the court? What do I have to do to break serve now? What do I have to do to win this point? I think that's a different mindset uh, where you put everything aside and say, okay, how do I win this, this, this game? And it's so hard. I find it so hard to teach. So I think you look back. And you see some players that some people thought, oh, in college, he's not going to win. He's too small or he's too slow or he's got too many holds. And they figure out a way to win. And they win tennis matches. 
I, I don't know if you remember him, but we were looking at a kid a long time ago, Logan Staggs, and he ended up going to UCLA. And he's kind of a yeah, he's a little guy. He's lefty, he didn't have a lot of pop, and and all he did in juniors was win. And but we kind of looked at I looked at his game and I'm like, I don't know, like is he is that gonna hold up against 22 year olds? And right. yeah, I don't I don't know if he'll be able to do it. And all he did was go to college and just mow people down for them, and he destroyed us when we played him. And I was like, you are such an idiot. Like all, all he did was show you that he knows how to get the job done. And I just fell in love with certain character traits instead of like your skills. Oh, he doesn't have the big serve, but the guy was a competitor. Yeah. Or Ronnie, Ronnie Schneider. I think you know that name. Oh yeah. You know, a lot of people thought that he was limited or small or what. It's always the small guys, you know, we, <laughs> we always have to really prove ourselves. And that that's not just in tennis, you know, I'm like, swear i let's go on a date you know i have to work so much harder than someone like you 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 get the benefit of the doubt all the time that's all right so is it tough you know one thing that we left since i started recruiting until now it was kind of like you brought people in their fall of senior year you brought them in for an official visit when i was on the way out it became you bring them in on the junior year and now people start contacting coaches even earlier than that because they can reach out to you and some schools offer quickly. So you are trying to make an estimate of what that player is going to be like at age 20 when they are 16. So how difficult is that for you to kind of project out in the future? It's, it's so hard. And I've heard, I've heard that tennis has the most transfers of, of any sport. And I think this may be before the transfer portal, but in the past tennis had the most. And I think one of those is, is for that reason. I, I, I wish we would go back to recruiting senior year, not junior year. I'm still looking at some players to come this January, and it's October. And the beauty about that is that I know exactly what I'm getting. Right now, we have two players visiting that are for 2024. So we're in October 22. Two years from now, they'll start college. It is so hard. It is so hard to know how good they're going to be in two years. You know, let's say there are. 12 UTR and I'll, I'll even say to them you could be a 13.5 in two years or you could be a 12.2 or 12.1 and at 12.1 you'll never see the court at 13.5 you'll be a critical part of our lineup you could be either but I don't know so it is it is very difficult I, I um, I'm not sure that that's going to change so we'll just have to do a good job and even even the visits are a little bit uh, challenging because you remember that part of the visit is sort of the social aspect of campus and you have a football game. Well, we all know what kind of goes on during a football game and, and it's so hard to know, is, is, is he going to be okay hanging out? I mean, he's 16, he's hanging out with 22, 23-year-olds. The 23-year-old is the 22-year-old even okay with hanging out with a 16 year old and it's in that setting it is there's a big difference and so that makes it challenging so yeah i'm not a big fan um no one no one it's not going to change but i i do i do advise prospects there's nothing wrong with waiting you know and um and, and the, as they see their buddies committing saying look there's plenty of universities there are plenty of good coaches, plenty of good programs. 
scholarships will be there. Don't feel like you're in a hurry. Just in one year from now, you're going to have a better idea of your level. And now you have a little bit of facial hair. And you have a little bit a better idea what you physically, what you might look like. And there's just less variables. Uh, so I wish, you know, some listen, some don't. Uh, and then, you know, they end up transferring some of them because they, they made the decision so early. The the interesting part for me to come back to juniors is being on the other side and hearing the kids and hearing the parents. And I was talking to a, a mother the other day about their player and they're a sophomore. And it was kind of like, well, am I going to be good enough in a year to go to the school that I want to go to? And it's so early. And so now they have to make this decision. Like, am I going to work on long-term growth? Am I trying to put a Band-Aid on it and have a good tournament in the next month? That's the biggest thing in the world. And so not only is it hard for you guys, but then I think a lot of juniors actually hurt their development because they're stressing out about, like, I always have to be on. I'm going to be a junior. And if I don't peak between my sophomore you know, summer and my junior fall, then TCU is not going to offer me. And then my all my dreams are shattered. And it's really hard on both sides, actually. Very hard. That's a great point. I had, you know, when I was, when I was, so I came from Mexico when I was 14, I was a freshman and I went from, you know, you're not, you don't know this, but you might be a little surprised. I went from a two handed forehand and a cross, cross grip, like Santoro backhand to a one handed forehand and a one handed backhand. So I didn't switch. I didn't switch. So this was my forehand, like a lefty backhand. Mm-hmm. That's what I had growing up. And my backhand was cross. So I oh, didn't wow. do it like, like Michael Gambill switch hands. There was always the one on top. It was always right. Santoro was the opposite of me. He had a normal backhand and his forehand was like this. So you were, so you were a chubby Mexican with two hands on both sides and the wrong grip on one. So you're right. You were a great competitor. <laughs> yeah, I could move. I had good legs. Short. But, but good legs, uh, and and uh, and I could tell what you didn't like. So my goal was, I'm not going to play very well. I'm just going to make sure that my opponent plays worse than I do. And I tell that story. I always use that with with with, with players. So you can you can outplay them, or you can just make them play a little bit worse than you can, uh, than you are. And that's it. You don't have you know it doesn't. You don't have to raise your level. Just bring theirs down. So it, whatever, you know, you, there's so many little stories like that, but yeah. So, so you're right today. Oh my God. I just, you just made me think of that. I would have, I would have had zero chance of getting any kind of offer because I was in the middle of completely my sophomore year in high school. I was just barely trying to learn how to hit a forehand. I made that switch freshman year in high school. So Literally, like relearn how to play. I played satellite level state tournaments just to get start playing tournaments. I had zero rank, zero. Right, and you of course went on. I think you still hold the record for combined wins at TCU. So obviously, you turned into a fantastic player. But that coach recruiting you at that time, that'd be pretty tough to project out. Impossible, and and I and I didn't have any money, so that 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 didn't help either. I needed a big scholarship, so yeah, I had I had no shot, no shot. Uh, I just uh, yeah, I beat the odds. 
can can we go back to what you said about um trying to make your opponent play worse obviously obviously who they are matters everyone's got a different game and maybe what you do but generally speaking is there one tip or one way or or one method that you can use that kind of works consistently where you go i think i can make this guy play a little worse today yeah i mean i so my number one goal so i had my game i knew what i could do which was i could run I could come forward and I can slice backhands. And I had a reliable serve, but obviously I'm 5'6", so it wasn't that big. But it was, it was, I could place it, whatever. So, but I could lock it down and I'll give you three points. So my goal was always to figure out where is the hole? Everybody has a weakness, which, what is it? Is it low backhand, high forehand, passing shots? Is it volleys? Is it movement? Is it? patience is it that he doesn't like it when i get competitive and every time i say vamos i could tell it gets under his skin well guess what (laughs) there's gonna be a lot of vamos in this match you know i mean seriously it sounds awful but that was what i needed to do to compete at the highest level And, and and there were times where i crossed the line and i might regret it now that i'm supposed to be older and mature but um, I did it at the NCAAs in, in, uh, in um, 1994 against UCLA. I played a player that was three levels better than I was. He had beaten me 6-1-6-1 earlier that year. Somebody told me, honestly, Rodidi, your only chance is if you can get under his skin. So I was down 6-1, 2-1, a break, and playing the best I can. And I said, okay, okay, here we go. Let's take one from the team. Let's get under his skin. So I got under his skin, and uh, my coach, Coach Bartson, who is one of the most respected coaches in the history of college tennis, he just walked away. But he, I think he could tell that he was working, so he didn't say don't do it, but he wasn't going to be part of it either. So it's kind of like you could tell how competitive he was because he was famous for being so competitive, but he wasn't going to be on that court with all this going on. And I beat him, and it was shocking, shocking to me that he could be that, whatever. He was more concerned about what, I, what was going on than, like I said earlier, just beat me. Like, all he had to do is laugh at me, ignore me for three seconds, and it would have been six one six two, And he couldn't play anymore. And all I did was all those little games, that you, you know, when you were 10 and under. So, so, yeah, that was, so my goal was, how do I bring you down to my level? How do I get you down in the trenches where all of a sudden hitting a beautiful, clean ball is not how this is going to be decided. It's going to be, you know, sort of your weakness versus my strength and trying to to line that up as, as often as possible. I would put Cam Norrie in that category. I think, you know, someone like Alcaraz is going to go on the court and beat you. Uh, Federer is going to beat you. Uh, I would put Murray and Nori, maybe even Djokovic a little bit, they're going to bring you down a level. They're going to, Nori's going to drive you crazy that he gets to every ball and he plays every single point. And his forehand is jumpy and spinny and almost shanky. And then the backhand's like an underspin. And it's just, you just don't get any rhythm. So he, it's hard to play your best match against Cameron Ori. Speaking of Cam, he's obviously 
one of the best players that's that's come through the program. And I remember we played you at indoors one year. I think he was a freshman, and he played our freshman Alvarez, Nico Alvarez from Peru. Oh, tell you exactly what happened that day, that match. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and, and so Nico, I'm pretty sure Nico beat him in three. I can't remember the the score of the dual match. I'm pretty sure Blue Devils won. Otherwise, I only remember losses. So if I don't remember it, then we it was probably good for us. I'm assuming that year. That year. So since you you're kind of rubbing it in a little bit, that year we went to indoors for the first time in in who knows how long. We went zero and three. We lost every match close. We had you guys match points. Cameron Nori had triple match points against Alvarez. He was up five four, returning fifteen forty. So no, I had three three match points. He did not break at five four. And then got broken at five all, or got broken at six five. Either way, he lost that quickly that set, and then lost in the third set. And and we lost that. And we lost. We went zero and three. And our our friend Pat Ecker, he came up to us and he said, "You went zero and three in this tournament, but I make a bet between now and May, you'll beat these teams." And that year we got to the final four, so we did. We we turned around, we figured it out, whatever. So, how did you guys do in the indoors? I mean, the outdoors. I'm kidding. That, like, that was my way to get rubbing it back in. But we did, we did, but we were so close. We were just kind of getting started. That was it. I remember exactly that match on that court at in Chicago at the at the Midland. Um, um, what's the name of that racket club? Midtown. Uh, Midtown, the Midtown. And so, so this is my talk with with Cameron was. Sort of the lesson that day was he wanted to talk about the 5-4. He wanted to talk about the game where he had three match points. And I said, I don't care what happened at 5-4, 40-15, deuce. I don't care how you how you didn't close the match out. What happened at 5-all when you're serving and you got broken? What happened there? What was your mindset? You know, do you, you think this is the last time you're going to have break points and not break? Do you think this is... That's the lesson. To me, the lesson was what happened the next game. You you hold, and then you make him have to serve again at 5-6. And you might have another opportunity. But instead, you know, the, the hangover, and he was still whining. And, and I could tell he was listening. So a year later, we're at indoors again, and I believe we're either playing you guys again or somebody else. And he's had match points, served for the match, didn't get it, and then held, and then won in a breaker or won in 7-5. And I was never on his court. It was actually Facundo. And he just looked at me when he held, and he kind of winked. And I thought, okay, wow, he remembers that little chat. Uh, and it was a 30-second chat, one-minute chat, but I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. He remembers, and and, um, and he learned. And, and I thought that was the biggest lesson that day. So anyway, so yeah, I remember that day perfectly. It was 8 a.m. too. We kept playing at 8. The, the more you lost, the earlier you got to play. It was like minus 20 degrees leaving the hotel. Well, yeah. I mean, if we if we were playing you on day three, that means we were also 0 and 2 heading into that one. So it's not like we had a it's not like we had a banner event either. <laughs> yeah. Well, took down the home frogs. So so Cam, you know, he was obviously great. He's playing one as a freshman, and you've had a lot of great players come through, but not many of them end up being top 10 ATP. So why do you think what was it about his collegiate process and what was it about him 
that made him stand out and he's the guy that broke through? What did he do so well? Well, he he he, he was our worker. He he basically had a individual lesson every day, every morning. Even now, he was social. It didn't matter what the day before, what he did past 10 o'clock at night. He was there the next morning. We didn't even know that half of those private lessons, he was probably not feeling his 100%, but he would he would get that done. And so the story that I tell about him, when I, when I realized, Devin Bowen right away thought he's special. He's because of the competitiveness. He's head and shoulders above 89% of college players already. Uh, just his mind, the way, he, how competitive he was, even just in practice. Never, hardly ever lost anything in practice. So competitive. But I got to be with him in the finals of the regionals at College Station. And he played Hess Olsen, who who was a senior and who I consider one of the best players in college. And one of the toughest guys to beat. He was not going to beat himself. You were going to have to beat him. And what I noticed in that match with Cameron was that every time I got a little nervous, where it, it might be one all, 15 all, and I could feel like, oh, I have a hunch this is a big point because of what just happened and there's a momentum here. Like those little victories, you know, during a match that to the naked eye might seem ins- insignificant at one all, 15 all. Every time I, I felt that, Cameron would never do anything stupid. He would just lock it down, and he would compete so well on everyone. And and I thought, wow, I, I wasn't used to that. I was every time I, even so insignificant, just a little little victory, we would you know try some down the line shot or some crazy shot at the wrong time, like and it would be hard to explain like one all fifty no no big deal, but it was hard to explain the momentum and what happened the point before and the way he looked at you and the way. He, it was just a feeling. It's just a, uh, you feel it because you watch so much tennis, you feel it. And every time I felt that, he just locked it down and he won that match and he beat um, Hess Olsen. And Coach Center right away said, this guy is different than everybody else. You may have the best player in college tennis in a long time. This guy's going to be a superstar. Coach Center said it right there, first semester. So, absolutely. And, and then what I felt the best thing we did was just not say a lot. Uh, just let him develop, manage him, manage. It was more of a management deal. Uh, allow him to grow up, allow him to make mistakes, allow him to to make some decisions, some life decisions. And uh, Devin uh, worked with him on a daily basis on basically that, just how to be a professional. And he's doing great. And he's such a, he's actually known for, for how professional he is on the tour, which is, which is awesome for him. And Facundo's done a great job. So it's, yeah, it's been so much fun watching that, all that happen. It's been great. I know you're a little tight on time. So we're going to go, we're going to finish up with just a couple uh, questions from Instagram followers. Okay. How do you decide as a coach, whether with your team, you're going to work on strengths, things that you want to keep working on and develop or weaknesses that you saw from maybe like the previous dual matches? How do you decide what you're going to focus on? I think it has to do with where you are in the season. So during the season and when you're playing matches or maybe even during a tournament and even in general, if, if I had to pick one, just get better at your strengths. But if you have, 
you know, you might be in the fall. We'll dig in a little deeper in the fall with some of the weaknesses and see if we can get a second serve slightly better, you know, maybe change a grip or whatever. We get a little more technical in the fall or tackle some of those weaknesses. And I think in the spring, because you're competing and you have a match coming up, then you just focus on on making sure that your inside out forehand is dialed in uh, and your patterns are dialed in. So uh, to answer your question, I would say just where you are, you have a bunch of matches, focus on your strength. You have two months or you have a period, you're still in a developmental part of the year, then yeah, tackle some of the weaknesses, but you, at the end of the day, you're gonna win or lose because of your strengths, not because of your weaknesses. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. What is the most underrated skill that you need to have as a college head coach? Oh, man, that's an unbelievable question. Um, I love a quote that I learned from Coach Jose Guerras, and, and I sort of alluded to it with Cameron Nori. And I do remember doing this where I wanted to not do this, but I did it, and I'm glad I did, and was keep your mouth shut. Just the best, Jose Guerra's line was, the best coaching you can do is no coaching. Let let them sort of figure out. So not, not over coaching, just less is more, that kind of thing. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. And, and I, there were a few things I wanted to say to Cameron. And because of Guerra's, I, I kept my mouth shut and I just let Devin do his thing with him. And it, and it worked out great. It's so funny. Uh, I just had Margie Zessinger on the podcast uh, last week, and we were talking about that. And I was telling her how hard that is for me to just so shut up. <laughs> you just want to fix everything and say something. And you're like, that's what I'm here for. And sometimes that's not what you're there for. You just got to shut up. Yeah. It works on your marriage too, you know, just by the way. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I obviously didn't do that very well where I'm at, but um, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, and I, and I also think, you know, there are times, there are times, and, 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 and also, you, you know, if you're working with a 12-year-old, it's a little bit different than a 20-year-old, you know, so there are some things that with a 12-year-old, you do have time to maybe say, okay, that forehand, we're just going to have to change the grip, or we're going to have to change that now, let's not wait, um, I know what, what this is going to look like when you're 17, 18, and do it now so there are i do believe there are times but it's just you gotta weigh in all of that so it's it is slightly different at where they are what age they're at i'm gonna modify this question a little bit because i know you probably don't do a ton of this but the the usual question the same person throws it in every every week uh it's like advice the best tip you can give to the three five player but since you usually are not working with a ton of adults can you make it a broader tennis principle or point that you like to make either for a junior principles. player? I love yeah, principles. A, a junior, a, a three, five, a great college player. And you go, this kind of applies to tennis players in general. What piece of advice do you have? My guys will laugh because they know what I'm going to say, because I say it all day and I do believe, and it has not been proven wrong, but my little, my favorite principle on how to best, strike the ball is when the ball is dropping you lift it and when the ball is rising you drive it and you'd be surprised 
how it sounds so simple. Of course, the ball's dropping, you better lift it or it's not going to go over the net. And then if the ball's rising, also think about you're taking a second serve early, you know, second serve return early. The ball's already coming up, right? So you don't have to go up. You don't have to lift it. You want to just lean on it and drive it because it's already going to get enough height because it's already coming up. And it's amazing. I believe that it, it fixes a lot of errors. Uh, and I would advise those players that are not, they don't think of themselves as, as good ball strikers to think about that and just focus on that. And it's also great, even just focusing on it, it's a great warm-up exercise because since you have, you're watching the ball and you're watching if when you hit it, it's on the way down or on the way up, it actually brings you in the present and you're very present. Uh, it's kind of like the bounce hit type thing. You know, you're watching, it's like, okay, lift it, drive it, lift it, drive it. Some balls are right in between, so do whatever. But I, I do believe that, I do believe it. I've done it with three, five uh, ladies during COVID. During COVID, I, I uh, had to venture out and, and it was fun. I had a blast and I sort of applied these principles and, and they loved it. And it, it's so simple. And, and like someone like, like you, like if I remember correctly, your forehand in my mind, I mean, I know you like, you loved coming forward. And if I remember right, your grip on the forehand side might have been a little bit more extreme. So you prefer the ball dropping a little bit and lifted. Is that right? Am I? I, I, I had a semi-Western, but I took it back. Instead of taking it back high, I dropped it straight down. Right. Okay. Which is which is. So I didn't, like the, I didn't like the ball high. Exactly. Because you have to drive it. And if your racket is back and it's low and the, and the ball is rising and you're forced. So I do remember having, you having to let the ball drop so that you can lift it because your racket is so low. If your racket would have been a little higher, then you can take it on the rise, and it actually would have been perfect for your game style because you could therefore have a more aggressive uh, court position and therefore get to the net more often. It's like Stefan Edberg, everybody made fun of his forehand, but at the end of the day, it was kind of a eastern forehand that he could really drive the ball, and he could take the ball on the rise and drive it all day, like Jimmy Connors. Why was his court position on top of the baseline? because he loved to drive the ball. So therefore, he was looking to take as many balls on the rise as possible. And that's where he would get the best uh, compression or whatever of the, you know, the ball and the strings and compress the ball. Which, like, you know, in golf, that's what you want, right? So anyways, so I love I love playing with that. And, and uh, it's like, okay, you like to hit the ball on the rise. You have a very linear, linear swing. You got to play up on the baseline. So that you can take as many balls on the rise. You love to go up like this. Well, man, you better be ready to run because you're gonna have to play far back to wait, let the ball drop. So, you know where you position yourself in the return. So with the three fives, it's it's awesome because you you you, you can place them on on the court according to what they do naturally. It's like oh, you you just kind of bunt the ball, move way up, almost half volley the return and get to the net. They're like, oh, wow, that was easy. Yeah, for your swing path. Yeah, it's so easy. Anyway, I can talk about it all day. Love it. That, that's, uh, it's actually such a good answer to that question. I almost feel bad asking you this last one. <laughs> but this one's, this one's hot off the presses. Literally just came in 10 minutes before 
Uh, this person wants to know, is it true that you once tried to throw your entire racket bag into a lake, but you missed the lake? Yes. <laughs> I could tell you where, Orlando. How do you, there's so many lakes. That's when you know you had a bad day. That's when you know you had a bad day. So I had a temper. I had a horrible temper. I still do. I just hide it really well. Well, some referees wouldn't say that. But anyways, I lost, I believe, Merklin. I was playing with Merklin or lost to Merklin. And I, I was in a bad place. And I took my whole bag. There was a lake, a pond right next to the court. And I just took it all and chucked it over the fence into the lake. And there was like a five-foot space that was not the lake. And that's where all my rackets landed. So I'm like, well, at least I still have my rackets. So I had to, the walk of shame, you know, I have to go and get my rackets, miss the lake. So yeah, it is 100% true. And I remember that it was in Disney World. I remember the tournament. That is too good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad he snuck that question in at the deadline. But um, I know you got to race out of here. Um, it was great catching up. Great listening to you. I learned a couple things like we talked about before. It's it's why I love having people like you on. So that was awesome. Uh, good luck this year. I'm sure you guys will be great as always. Top 10. You'll have a couple thousand people at all your matches. You're, you're great at what you do and you're great for college tennis. So thanks so much for being on. No, thank you. Thank you. Love those videos. Keep that. Keep those feeds coming. I love I love uh, listening and learning from you on your videos. And uh, uh, I remember one specifically that you where you use the, uh, the doubles alley as a way to get around on the forehand and, 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 and using, you know, sort of that shape and getting around and getting your I think it was keeping your feet off the off the alley. So you, right. that's how you get around. And I'm like, wow, that is awesome. So. I'm learning uh, from you as well, so keep those coming. All right, I want to thank Roditi for joining us today. I can't stress enough how important it is to work on becoming a great competitor. Listening to him talk about Cam and, and how he competed in practice and matches and just how that separated him from other great players, it just keeps driving home the point to me that all the best players are great competitors. They have different strokes, different grips, different personalities, different tactics. But what they all have in common is they compete and fight every single match. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.